And I welcome you to the show, and it is what? Yeah, hump day. Hump, hump, hump. Mike, Mike, Mike. I haven't said that in a while. Welcome to the show. Let's talk. My name's Mike. I'm your host. Host with the most. <laughs> Anyways, this episode is called On the Watchtower, and I'll get that to that at the very end of the show. That's out of the, be out of the book of Ezekiel, amongst others, it talks about watchtowers, but the one I'm specifically referring to is the one out of the book of Ezekiel. So I hope your week's going good so far. Mine's good so far. Got uh, um, able to have the fence uh, all put up except for the gate. We are uh, going to be eliminating chicken doo-doo on the, on the deck. <laughs> chickens roam wherever they want. Well, they're free-range chickens, so they go where they want anyways. But the point is, they come up on the deck... And they're doing their doo-doos on the deck. Can't be having that. They are a friendly <laughs> group of chickens. They um, jump up on my lap constantly yesterday when I was outside trying to relax. And I didn't realize they wanted me to walk them to bed. So I walked over to the coop, and here they come. Okay, thank you. Good night now and whatnot. <laughs> I never knew trip chickens had such character. There, I swallowed my pill better. So, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Again, hope your week is going good so far. Let's get started <clears throat> with our prayer. Lord God, all the praise, the glory, and the honor forever, for all eternity, Father God. As the angels sang and the sons of God glorified your name when you created all things and you said, it is good. And they praised your holy name. Let us always remember to praise your name, Lord. Let us always remember, Father God, to give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. Let us always remember, Father God, to give you thanks for every single thing, no matter how small it might be, and no matter our our place in life. In other words, if we're having a bad time and a bet, you know, things are kind of rough, let us not forget, Lord, that you are with us always. And that, that. That is worthy of your praise. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. So our first verse today is John 14, verse 3. Okay, take two. John 14, verse 13. How could I screw that up? Anyways, and it says this, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So it's all about the name of Jesus, name above all names. King of kings, Lord of lords, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. May have mercy on us. And I pray again, Father God. I pray now, Lord God, for the, the peace of, the, of Jerusalem and your, the salvation of thy people Israel. I pray for the forgiveness of our sins, Father God. I pray for the mercy and forgiveness of those who have sinned against us. I pray and specifically say thank you, Father God, for the bread on our tables, for the homes in which we live. Thank you, Father God, for the prosperity to pay our bills. And it's not always you give us what we want, you give us what we need, Lord, and let us be grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen and amen. 
So I hope this makes you smile. I came across this the other day. I was actually going to bring it up on my last show, but I didn't. But I thought I'd put it on this show today. And again, I hope this makes you smile. So Will Rogers. I didn't look up who Will Rogers was. You'll have to do that on your own. I know who Will Rogers was. I don't remember Will Rogers, but I know who he was. He was a cowboy who, you know, he came to fame. He did Wild West shows and things. But he had a witty witty sense about him. He did die in 1935. You know, he died in 1935. So obviously he was gone long before I came around. And uh, he was out with a bush pilot in Alaska. That's the kind of guy he was, you know. So... Anyways, he was probably the greatest political country cowboy sages this country's ever known. Really, that's what he was. And he was a lot of fun to listen to because, well, he had some great things to say. And so what I did is I, I copied down some of these things he had to say, and I thought they were so funny. So I hope this makes you laugh. Number one, this kind of like a, a, what is that guy's name again? I can't think of it. David Letterman, the top ten. Hey, Let's do that. Let's call it the the top, what is it? <laughs> top 12, Will Rogers, <laughs> or even more than that, probably top 20. But anyway, let's get moving. Number one, never slap a man who's chewing tobacco. Number two, never kick a cow chip on a hot day. Now, for those of you that don't know what a cow chip is, it's what they call the cow patty that comes out of the cow's backside. <laughs> Excuse me, back end, you know, cow doo-doo. So that's a cow chip. So don't kick it on a hot day. There are two theories to arguing with women. Neither works. Number four, never miss a good chance to shut up. Number five, always drink upstream (laughs) from the herd or from the rest of your group that you may be out in the fields with. Number six, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Number seven, the quickest way to double your money is to fold it and put it back into your pocket. Number eight, there are three kinds of men. The ones that learn by reading, the few who learn by observation, and the rest of them must, well, pee on the electric fence and find out for themselves. (laughs) Number nine, good judgment comes from experience. And a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Number 10, if you're riding ahead of the herd, look back every now and then to make sure it's still there. That's a good point. Number 11, letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back. Number 12, after eating an entire bull, a mountain lion felt so good he started roaring. He kept it up until a hunter came along and shot him. The moral, when you're full of bull, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) These are about getting older, growing older. First, eventually you'll reach a point when you stop lying about your age and start bragging about it. Second, the older we get, the fewer things seem worth waiting in line for. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Third, some people try to turn back their odometers. Not me. I want people to know why I look this way. I've traveled a long way, and some of the roads weren't paved. Fourth, when you're dissatisfied and would like to go back to youth, think of algebra. (laughs) Or chemistry or any one of those, right? Fifth, you know you're getting old when everything either dries up 
or leaks. Six, I don't know how I got over the hill without getting to the top. <laughs> That's true too, right? Seven, one of the many things no one tells you about aging is that it's such a nice change from being young. That can be true too. There are a lot of nice things about getting older. There are a lot of nice, it's a lot of things that aren't so nice, but there are nice things about getting older. Eight, one must wait until evening to see how splendid the day has been. That's true. Nine, being young is beautiful. Being old is comfortable and relaxed, like a good pair of jeans. Ten, long ago when man cursed and beat the ground with sticks, it was called witchcraft. Today, it's called golf. <laughs> and finally, drum roll, <coughs> excuse me, if you don't learn to laugh at trouble, you won't have, have anything to laugh at when you're old. That's so true, people. I can't tell you how many times in my life, you know, growing up, especially in my elementary school days and so forth, and I was being bullied and so forth. And believe it or not, the... <laughs> The remedy to being bullied, believe it or not, was when I started laughing with them. That's right. And then I learned that I had a sense of humor by making jokes about myself. I bet they probably thought I was kind of loony, but it worked. Let's do a scripture, King James Version. For 1 Corinthians 1.25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Isn't that great to know that no matter, <laughs> well, I wouldn't call what God has to say foolish, but, you know, I think you get the point, right? And even in his weakest, which, you know, that's not going to happen either, but still, let's make the point, is still stronger than men. So we're never going to know and understand and so forth any better than what God can tell us. And we're never going to be any stronger than in his weakness. So what are you looking for? This has to do with the world today. This has to do with all those. And I'm not talking about just Democrat or Republican. I'm talking about the whole ball of wax, the whole nine yards, as they say in the Marine Corps. The whole kit and caboodle. What are they looking for? Well, to begin with, they promise you salvation, right? They have all the answers. They have everything you could ever need, want, desire, and so forth. Make your life so happy-go-lucky and gleeful and, you know, life is merry, right? But in the end, they're looking for what they always seek. Power. They're seeking power, power and authority over you. The latest thing I read, in fact, well, I'm going to take a minute here to try to see if I can find the story, and I bet you that I lost it here someplace, yada, yada, blah, blah. So what else is new? What the story was about was, or what, what it concerned is... Um, this new digital currency that they're coming out with, okay? Um, now, a lot of people may not think it's a big deal. So, you know, we're going to go to, uh, well, basically a cashless society. By the way, Tucker Carlson got fired. 
I think there's more to that than meets the eye, that's for sure. But anyways, so they, um, they're going to go to this new digital currency. It, there's, no, there's no way out of it, all right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. When they do that, what's going to happen is, I mean, right now, I think most everybody has their checks directly deposited, whatever their checks might be from, and so forth and so on. Everything is, so many things done digitally online. I mean, uh, Bed Bath and beyond, they're going into bankruptcy. Target's not far behind uh, because of the digital age and everybody shopping online instead of going into the stores themselves. I think one of the only saving graces for Walmarts, even though they're they're shuttering, yeah, I got a story on that coming up, is um, the grocery thing still draws people. And I don't know, <laughs> it just seems to be able to weather it a little better. But either way, so here's the point. When they go to this digital currency, okay, you will no longer have the option of paper money in your hand. You will no longer be able to buy, sell, trade, barter, whatever you want to call it, with cash. It'll be worthless. Kind of like after the Civil War, Confederate money, gold, or you know, was worthless. There was no value to it. This is what they're creating, or this is actually what they've already created. All right? So this also allows them, the powers that be, to not only monitor but control your financial transactions. You don't think I'm... (laughs) You better, like, really be aware of this, folks. When the Bible tells us that no man, the book of Revelations, when the Bible tells us that no man shall buy or sell without the mark of the beast, this is exactly how they make that happen. This is the point. All right? And it's not far down the road. No, (laughs) this is in our lifetime, folks. This is in our lifetime. They're moving, you know, at a record pace to accomplish their goal. Nothing short of absolute power, like I just said. They promise salvation. They say, you know, this will eliminate unneeded debt and so forth, and it'll protect your money and your earnings, your retirement, whatever. All these promises. When, in fact, it's their way of being able to control your money. Already people, especially people who believe in the Second Amendment, such as my wife and I, you know, we want to go buy a gun or we want more ammunition for the guns that we have. They already monitor that. And it wouldn't surprise me that we would get a knock on the door. You know, did you buy ammo and such and such and so forth and so on? 
Now, the good thing with cash is, you know, because <laughs> people who believe in the Second Amendment in the way that we do and so forth and so on, we have a different mindset. I'm going to tell you that right now. So, you know, those that um, have the ability to get their hands on some ammunition would have no problem, you know, doing cash transactions out of the back, <laughs> out of the trunk of their car like they used to do uh, back in the day with uh, moonshine and so forth, you know, bootleg liquor. liquor. But the thing is, is once the cash is gone, once they, you know, cash has been eliminated, what are you going to do? You see how it goes? Complete control, folks. Power. Moving along, Joe versus Donald. I was going to put Joe versus the volcano. I don't know why, but I was going to. This is what they're calling the rematch that no one wants. Interesting. On Tuesday, Biden... Uh, so today, I guess he's supposed to, I haven't heard about it yet, is expected to announce that despite suggesting in 2019 that he'd be a one-time president, he's going to throw his uh, people back in the ring for a 2024 run. No um, word on who his running mate will be and whatnot. Really, I, <laughs> at this point, it doesn't matter. And one of the most comical buzzkills in political history, listen to this, so you would think that everybody would be, you know, on their side. Woohoo, Joe's going to run again. Yay. Well, a new poll showed that a supermajority, okay, so that means well beyond 50%, okay, um, they think it's a terrible idea. In fact, 70% of Americans, including 51% of Democrats, don't want them to do it. And that's according to an NBC News survey. Well, <laughs> it gets hysterically worse, and this is the best part. 53% of those who voted for him less than three years ago say he shouldn't run. And 76% under 35 believe, well, Joe, it's time to retire. You know, it's no huge surprise, okay? Number one, you know, they say it's about his age, I'm not really sure I agree with that part. Oh, I'm not giving Joe any kudos here. Hey, you know what? If they're of an age, but they still have the ability and the wits and the whatnot to do the job, let them do it, right? But his ability to do the job or his inability to do the job, that's key. That's key. And quite honestly, folks, well... Without getting into the whole thing here, well, there's no ability there whatsoever. So here's the Walmart story. They have closed six stores over the weekend, and there's about 20 more that are slated for soon, uh, soon-to-be closures. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, this is what always gets me. So it emerged recently that Walmart's president and CEO Doug McMillan earned $25.3 million last year. That's one person. That's more than 933 times the average employee's pay. So back a number of years ago, you, you know, I remember hearing about well, my father worked for the General Electric. And 
I think the man's last name was Nardelli. He was politically savvy, and he was also business savvy. And he took over the reins at General Electric, and due to a confrontation he had in his early years as an up-and-coming individual in, in the GE structure, he had a spat with the uh, mayor of the of the city where I grew up, where my dad, you know, where GE was located. This was a massive plant. This this covered like Buku acreage, twenty four seven. It was running, you know, so forth and so on. My father worked in the turbine division, and and whatnot. And and this guy Nardelli wanted a tax break. He was asking the city for a tax break, and this young up and coming politician on the city council, pretty much told him to, you know, pound rock salt, take a hike, pay your fair share. And Nardelli kind of, you know, okay, we'll see. Well, guess what? Long story short, Nardelli goes to the top, and one of the first things he did was he ripped out three quarters of that GE employee, you know, force, workforce. My father, thank God, every time something of that nature or strikes or whatever would happen, my dad, you know, thank the Lord God, would always be, you know, just the other side of where it came down, you know, where the axe come or where the pendulum, you know, swung through. But here's the thing. They cut all these jobs, you know, back in those days, you know, I'm talking about the GE as an example, but there's been so many other, you know, big corporations where this has happened. And then these CEOs and stuff give themselves these buku pay raises and bonuses that could have you know paid for you know all the employees that just got bumped so they're over here saying you know we're sweating bullets because of the finances and so forth and so on oh but in the meantime i'm going to give myself you know a 25.3 million dollar salary i can't even imagine having that kind of money to spend i can only imagine that anyway you see what I'm saying here? So again, you know, inflation's got something to do with it, of course. And again, the boom in online shopping. But you know what's really having a, a serious effect, especially in cities like Chicago, which are, oh yeah, blue cities, <laughs> you know, blue cities, blue states, wave of thefts. Yeah. Because if you steal less than $900, it's a walk. Did you know that? Yeah, that's a walk. In other words, <laughs> out the door, see you later, Gator. Just saying, folks. Just saying. Because these blue states and, you know, these blue what do they do? They slap them on their wrist. It's a revolving door. They don't get any time. They don't get any real consequences for what they're doing. You got these these gangs that go into these little uh, bodegas and whatnot, and uh, um, they just rob them blind. Walmarts, uh, not Walmarts, Walgreens. Oh, is that the pharmacy? I hope I got it right. I don't know. C CBS, you know, stores like that. They go in there and just rip everything off the shelves, take what they want, out the door they go, and that's that's that. 
I got some good news, though. <laughs> if you want to call it good news, I call it good news. Another Anheuser-Busch marketing ex executive is on leave of absence. And the reports are kind of leaning towards the fact that it's not voluntary. Well, they're on administrative leave in the controversy over Bud Light's collaboration with this sicko, transgender, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. You could fill in the gaps there. All right? So the Bud Light vice president of marketing has taken a leave of absence. They've lost billions of dollars. And I mean serious billions of dollars. That happened in the first weekend after they put this... Boy, boy I choked on those words. <laughs> this transgender individual's picture on their beer cans and, you know, started promoting it. And other companies that followed suit are also experiencing the same thing. Disney, who has gone woke long ago, actually. I have some friends of mine and some relatives, actually, that look forward to the, I think it's in July, but it's gay month in Disney, you know, to put it shortly. Disney's seen their share of bad times now. Good, good. I'm glad. Because, see, this is the direct correlation between a godless people, a, a, a godless company, godless CEO, all these things. Listen, just because these people are making money, just because this guy makes $25.3 million a year and so forth and on and on and on does not mean that they are righteous or good to go in the eyes of God. Remember, Jesus said they received their rewards, people like that. Don't concern yourself with them. Don't worry about it. Don't fret over it. Don't let it stop you from making progress of your own. All right? Because it's always been that way. There's always been somebody who's wielding, wielding the power over somebody else or a group wielding the power over another group, you know? Don't concern yourself with it. I'm just making a point that that's, you know, this is what's going on. But believe me when I tell you, the Lord says vengeance is mine, and trust me, my brothers and sisters, the vengeance is going to be tough. Let's look at Matthew 16. Let's move along. Matthew 16. When Yeshua came into the territory around Caesarea, okay, take two. When Yeshua came into the territory around Caesarea Philippi, he asked his Talmudin, who are people saying the Son of Man is? Well, they said, well, some say Yochanan, the Immerser. Others, Elahu. Still others, Yermeyahu, or one of the prophets. But you, he said to them, who do you say I am? And Shimon Ankifa answered, you are the Mashiach, the son of the living God. Shimon Bar Yochanan, Yeshua said to him, how blessed you are, for no human being revealed this to you. No, it was my father in heaven. 
So, obviously, I read from the Jewish Bible. That's why the names and so forth were different, and you might not recognize them. So, Yochanan is John, John the Immerser. Elihu is Elijah. Yermehiahu is Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then when he said, who do you say I am? Shimon Kepha, 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 I'm probably not, you know, my pronunciations aren't correct, I'm sure. That's Peter, okay? And Mashiach is Messiah. So, that's that. But anyways, Jesus says to them, when he says, you know, just for the sake of it, now this is, you know, around the same time that the transfiguration on the mount happened, as they call it, when he took John and James and Peter and went up into a, a solitary place in the mountain and uh, Elijah and Moses appeared with him, so forth and so on. So this was nearby that same territory and time. Anyway, Jesus tells them when the revelation comes to Peter that you're the Messiah, the Lord tells him how blessed you are. And there's like an explanation point because the point is this. That came, okay, so, you know, no human revealed this to you. It was my Father in heaven. God himself blessed Peter with the Holy Spirit for a moment to teach him something. You see, because at that time, the Holy Spirit had not descended upon all of those uh, all the believers. That didn't happen until after the resurrection. Remember, Jesus says, I'll send a comforter and so forth and whatnot after his crew, you know, so that they weren't, you know, scared and concerned he's going to leave them and they'll be without them and so forth. He said, I'm going to ask my father. So that's, you know, that was a, man, what a moment that had to have been at that time. Oh, boy. I love thinking about that stuff. So we ask all kinds of things. In the beginning scripture, Jesus says, ask in my name and it shall be given. How many times we ask somebody else for something that the Lord God is ready, willing, and able to give us? So the question in this part is, why didn't you ask me first? And that's an excellent question. We should expect, well, no less from God. It's He's never too busy or difficult to find. His word tells us that he's everywhere present including as believers, not non-believers, as believers inside of us. And for that reason, he's not difficult to find. He's right here. Jesus says, I'm with you always. And most of us have, you know, no problem asking our friends what we should do about a situation or posting our dilemma on social media and seeking the collective wisdom of the aborted Star Trek Borg perhaps better known today as the collective consciousness. You see, Jesus says, ask me. But the world, well, they ignore God and just ask everyone else. And I guess they think, what could go wrong, right? Well, <laughs> ooh, that's a loaded question. 
You know, and sadly, even the churches are confused about asking God. There's a lot of church people that, well, they still believe that God listens to prayers and acts upon them, but these same members have a harder time acknowledging that God speaks to them. So, I want to ask you, I want to take from you, I want you to give to me, but don't talk to me. You ever have an argument with somebody and they, don't talk to me. Talk to the hand or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Anybody <laughs> and everybody that's a believer has the right, has the privilege, I should say, first of all, the privilege, the honor, to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask. But why do you walk away when he talks? I think part of the problem is, well, I think a lot of people think that anyone who hears from God has, <laughs> you know, their cheese slid off their cracker, <laughs> to coin a phrase from uh, the Green Mile, you know. In other words, they're a loony. They're goofy in the head. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people not just outside the church that believe that, but people in the church. I've spoken to many pastors and believers and stuff while in church and outside church or whatever, and when I talk to them about certain issues because of the fact that the Lord spoke to me about it, man, yeah, I get that look. What the are you talking about? Yet if what the Bible says is true, it means, now pay attention, and I am, I'm reiterating what I just said, but listen to this. It means that God takes up residence inside of us once we come to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So, that being the case, why wouldn't he speak to us? What's the point of his moving in if we never talk to each other? 1 Kings 19. I want you to read that, because that tells you how to listen for the still small voice and not the booming voice you think you're going to hear. If you engage in conversation, you eventually learn to recognize his voice. And that's because you've been praying and reading your Bible and you've been talking to him and you learn to recognize his voice by the words he speaks to you because they're the same words from the Bible. They will never, ever, ever, that's how you know whether you're hearing from God or not, they will never contradict the word of God. That's how you know. And there's no better source than God to go to for any problems we have. That's a, that's a, that's a start right there. He knows us as well as he does. He cares for us more than anybody else. And all he's asking, he is not asking us to sacrifice anything that we don't, you know, that we can't do, you know, do away with or whatever. He's not asking us for sacrificial whatever, like other false gods do and so forth. I want your firstborn sacrifice to me and so forth. Remember when Israel left Egypt? What kind of sacrifice did God want? How did the Pesach... 
the first Passover, what was sacrificed? Not children, not people, a lamb. A lamb. Of course, that pointed to something, you know, a bigger thing, right? You know, the Lamb of God and all that, but not people, never, not with God, no. He only asks, spend some time with me. Let's, you know, like the song, getting to know you, getting to know all about you. See why I'm not a singer? Anyways, that's all he's asking. And if you have troubles, you know, knowing who you are, God will get you straightened out real quick. And not, I don't mean that in a bad way that he's going to, you know, whip you into shape or not. That's not what I mean. Because by developing a relationship with God, which requires the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, we honor God by restoring a relationship he had with Adam before the fall of humanity in the garden. Jesus' death and resurrection restored us to what God had created Adam to be. That's what I mean about getting us straightened out. Reconciliation. This part I'm calling changes. We're living in a pivotal point in human history. God's timetable is for the sons and daughters of God to realize who they are and the power they have in Jesus. Now, Satan's been trying to advance his timetable for the tribulation or Jake, the time of Jacob's trouble because he does not want the world to see what heaven on earth looks like. Now, I don't mean that we can create heaven on earth. That is not what I'm saying because that is false religion. What I'm saying is we can realize and visualize like Abraham did the city built without human hands, heaven, the city of God, God's Jerusalem, not man's Jerusalem. You understand, I hope? So this is not like these people today, you know, these tree huggers and Jehovah's and whatever they think, you know, that earth is just going to transform from its current status or state of being into heaven. That's no, 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 no. You know, in the Old Testament, we read again, you know, countless times where Israel was, well, Israel's always been referred to as a fig tree. Now, you know, you ever see these videos on TV? This is amazing. You know, with any kind of fruit tree, they go down the rows with this kind of tractor, and it literally reaches out with like this gripper thing on, or whatever, a clamp, and it clamps onto the tree, and it literally shakes the tree, and all the ripe, the fruit falls to the ground, right? Now, it's a similar kind of thing. God's shaking the tree, all right? But in this case, all the rotten fruit, he's clearing it out. And the good fruit that's left over, he's going to prune and, and, you know, make better. Kind of like God's clearing out the one world order crowd. He's shaking them loose. 
to give us as Christians an opportunity to stand and show. Even the Pharisees in the New Testament had the presence of mind when they were fighting against Jesus' disciples to ask, what if we find ourselves fighting against God? In other words, all this we're doing to this guy, this hatred, this animosity we have towards this man called Jesus, what if this man really is who he says he is? That means we're literally fighting against God. Right now, folks, oh man, this is perhaps, really, when you think about it, the most astonishing time to be alive and see what the church that Jesus died for can do when it, when it you know, does what it's supposed to do. Spreading the gospel. Speaking the word. John 14 says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. The point is, Jesus never, never, never accepted praise and glory for what he did and who he was. It was always to the Father. He never said that he could do anything outside of what the Father gives him and shows him to do. And he's saying to us, what you have seen me do, what you have heard me say, you will do greater things than these. Well, in certain respects, I'm still waiting to see it. We have post-Christian to anti-Christians what I'm calling this next part. You know, a few years ago, we many times hear that the United States had entered what's referred to as a post-Christian era. And that's a little concerning, or a lot concerning in itself, because post means after the fact, you know, after. So, <laughs> post-Christian is not a good thing. But what's worse than that is we've now turned into, as of late, an anti-Christian. There are a, an amazing number of anti-Christian memes all over the media. And add to that the outrage against Jesus of the Bible in particular and his followers that's grown in leaps and bounds. The intensity is, you know, akin to like when you talk to these people about the political divide and they go unhinged. That's exactly what we have. And a lot of us, sad to say, we have friends or family members that have been totally affected by this. 
I know I do. I, it's sad. I, I, you know, I feel real bad. I really do. I'd love to plead with them and, and you know, just try, but they, they're just so, you, you know, <laughs> they're against it. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how unhinged they become, the natural human fleshy thing to do would be to respond in kind, right? I mean, you know, you spit in my eye, I'm going to knock you down, you know, whatever. That means nothing short of answering hate with hate, but you see, that's not what Jesus said to do, not at all. Always remember this, and this can be difficult. It can be a little, you know, kind of tricky or whatever you want to call it. These are the same people he died for just as well as us. That's right. He died for them too. He died for every Muslim out there, every Arab, whatever you want to call them, for every Chinaman, for every everybody, everybody. Even the individual who's up in your face for whatever, you know. So our goal is should not and is not to outwit them. It is not and should not be to make them look foolish or to show them that we too can curse like sailors. But hey, let me tell you something. Back in the day, <laughs> I knew all the best words. And I wasn't even a sailor. But it's like I was talking earlier about, you know, don't concern yourself with certain things. Don't concern yourself with... Or, you know, try not to see, I know it's not easy, but in a sense, try not to see their misbehavior. Try to see the child that Christ died for, no matter their age, you know, the child that Christ died for. When you can see that past what their, you know, their hatred and their, their just aggression towards you, when you can see past all that, to the fact that these are children of God that he died for. Now you're making progress. And another thing, we can't hide, you know, we can't hide. Don't, you know, put blinders on so you can't see what's going on. This is, this is the way it's been since the beginning. And by retreating into our homes you know, never venturing beyond our quote-unquote safe neighborhoods and stuff and hunkering down in churches that refuse to engage the world. You're not, you're not, you're not a doer. Remember Jesus in the last show I told you said, you got to be a doer? Because if you're not, it's a non-starter. Forget about it. You know? Pretty soon, hiding is not going to remain an option. You know, because they kind of think of it this way. When I lived in Florida, I seen tornadoes quite a You know, they were a, almost a common thing. But closing my eyes or, you know, to the fact that it's barreling down the road didn't make it right, didn't make it better. No, I had to, I had to take action. So you see, there comes a point when you can't pretend 
everything's normal. And if the church preaches God's word, then Satan's going to attack it. But you got to stand strong. You got to stand on that, on that foundation that Jesus has laid for you, for all of us. Every neighborhood in this country, I think, pretty close to it, let's put it that way. Not everyone, because there's some that I'm sure that by the blessings of God, they don't experience this, but they may seem quiet on the surface, but I'm telling you, there's drugs, pornography, there's all levels and kinds of hatred. And all of that is anti-Christian. All of those things are Satan's way of manipulating and having power over people and keeping their spiritual walk with God to a minimum. We have to respond as faith-based, not with unsurety, not with, you know, I don't know how to do this. Well, you know what? Yeah, okay, for the first time and so forth, you may not understand how to go about it. But trust me when I tell you, when you step out, you know, <laughs> you're going to find that the power and the blessings and so forth from God are just unending. Again, not with hatred, not with animosity, not with anger, you know, Remember Jesus said, if they hit you one, you can give them the other cheek to hit. All right? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, explicit instructions. Listen here. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Those are his words. Remember what they did to him, the things they said to him, the way they treated him, you know, during his life, not just, you know, prior to the cross or whatever. But remember, Jesus also said, you know, if you love your family and your friends and so forth and pray for them and so forth and so on, you're doing nothing different than anybody else is doing. But when you can show love and mercy and compassion and pray for that child of God, when you can see past the hatred and the animosity and the anger and all those, you know, words that come out of their mouth and actions they take against you, when you can see past all that and pray for them, now you're doing, you know, now. That's it. That's it. In the end, or in, you know, getting towards the end of the show here, our first allegiance belongs to Jesus. Right? When I was a little kid, I don't know if any of you remember, as little kids, we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance every morning in school. And sometimes schools, certain schools, you know, the parochial schools, they even prayed. But there were, back in the day, even public schools where prayer was an acceptable thing. 
the kind of heritage that a Christian has or a patriot has was a quality that was promoted. People had pride in so many things. But the biggest sense of pride they had was probably in their faith in God and their country, America. And, you know, if you listen to my show for a while or you pay attention to the news, those days are gone. They're gone. Now they, you know, consider us terrorists, domestic terrorists, and all these other phrases they have. Our citizenship, although we live here on earth and we live in this country, America, remember I said earlier Abraham looked for that city built without human hands? In Philippians 3.20, Paul wrote, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. According to Paul here, he agrees with what Abraham said, and he felt the same way, that we're waiting for that final deliverance which will come through, you know, Jesus Christ when he brings us to his kingdom. He believed that his real home is in heaven and he's only temporarily occupying this world. He's only temporary a, a subject of the governments and, and maybe, you know, even the problems of this world. You know... When you understand citizenship and then you look at what Paul said about it, you can understand, you can also understand what Paul was saying. And you can find a great considerable amount of encouragement for our heavenly citizenship. And that, that's such a beautiful, wonderful thing when you can reach that point, when you can come to that place. You see, he looked forward to the goal for the prize of an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's, um, those are Paul's words. 1 Thessalonians. He desired for his readers and for us to copy his passion for the things above rather than those solely focused on, you know, our earthly desires. Again, our first allegiance is to Jesus. We got to occupy and we got to do diligence to the world, you know, and whatnot. But that doesn't mean that we have to become part of the world. Jesus said you become part of the world. You got no part of him or heaven. Jesus also said, <laughs> if you don't believe in me, you got no part with God. And if you don't believe in God, you got no part with me. So it, it works both ways. They're one and the same. You can't say, well, I believe in God, but I'm a little shaky on Jesus and expect that that's going to be okay. No, that's not. That's a big non-starter. And it's the same thing with Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I got issues with God. Well, you know what? You better pray about it. You better get that straightened out and get, get it real quick. Get her done. So we're waiting. 
And since we're citizens of heaven, it's, well, it's only natural we'd wait for Jesus to take us there, right? So knowing that I'm a citizen of heaven, this actually brings sanity my days as I, I wait for, it's what's referred to as what I don't see, <laughs> which is Jesus appearing to take me home. I don't see it yet. Hasn't happened yet. That's for darn sure. I'm here. There is such unspeakable comfort and encouragement when you know these things and you and you you contemplate them and you meditate on them, you pray about them, knowing and understanding this world is not my home. Jesus says, where your treasure is, so your heart is. So if you put all your treasure and all your hopes and dreams and so forth in this world, you have nothing to look forward to in heaven. You're not even directing your you know eyes upwards, spiritually speaking. But if your eyes and your your heart and your mind and so forth are on the uh, the things of heaven, then that's that's where he, there you go. Now you belong to another realm for sure. The kingdom of God's coming. Are you ready? In Hebrews twelve one to two, take two. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are com compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I've spoken about that before, the, that he endured the cross because he knew the joy that was to come. That's where we're, you know, in many ways, right? We have to endure these things but by knowing and believing that we're citizens of heaven, we know that when we leave here, we're going to take our place in that heavenly place. There's a major issue with the pastors that refuse to teach these things, these Bible prophecies, and, and just these scriptures. Or they deny the public teaching. Or the, yeah, sorry, hang on, take two. They deny the biblical teaching. They're in a lot of trouble. And if you're, like, allowing that and you know different and you know better, y'all need to be, uh, you know, speaking up. There's no mistake about the evil that happens in this world. Thousands of years ago, the anointed cherub attempted to go where he was not authorized, and that's Lucifer. It says in Isaiah 14, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount, the congregation, in the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Well, he tried to usurp God's sovereign rule in heaven, and it didn't work, it didn't work and it didn't end well for him. In Ezekiel 28, it tells us what happened. God says, therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, 
from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may be, behold thee. This severe judgment doesn't deter him. He continues attacking us, trying to deceive, well, you know, not trying, but, you know, deceiving us and all these things because that's what he does. And he figures, just like all his minions do, his followers and so forth in the spiritual realm, and they're going to take as many with them as they can. So anything and everything they can do to deter you from accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, they're going to do it. They're going to use your friends, your family, or a stranger. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> the last thing they want to happen, they want to see happen, is you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and repent and turn your life around. Last thing they want to see happen. But like the scripture that I just read to you out of Hebrews, all right, that I just read to you, speaks volumes as to where we are and what we have as far as our place with God. Great cloud, so great a cloud of witnesses. He's not, he's, he's talking about those in the heavenly realm that God sends to help us, that are on, you know, praying and 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 interceding. They can't, it's not like a Catholic thing where they can offer, you know. I'm going to end with the Ezekiel 33, 6. This is the watchman. But if the watchman sees the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned. If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Goes on to say afterwards, if the watchman sees the sword come and does blow the trumpet, but the people don't respond, their blood is on their own heads and not upon the watchman. Everybody listen, the time has come to cast down all deception, all imaginations that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God. Everybody, please, seek the truth today, which you will only find in Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. End of the show. Email address, if you want, is uh, let's talk mike one at gmail.com. Let's talk M-I-K-E, the number one at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye.